So how many how many people are running for president now? Is he 24? I think we're at 23 or 24. Who can keep track? Henry Grubar writes for Slate. But more importantly, he's a New Yorker. That's why I dragged him into the studio to try to make the best argument for why our mayor, Bill de Blasio, should be running for president. It's like it's like one of those premium cable channels packages where you're, you're just never going to watch those other things they've been throwing in there. And you're like, oh, Channel 44, the de Blasio channel. Like, did I? Was I watching this last night when I came home from the party? <laughs> okay, here's my best argument. He's tall. Like, that's it. He's, like, really tall. He will tower over anyone in a debate, pretty much, unless James Comey runs. And, like, the tallest guy usually wins, right? Donald Trump was probably the tallest guy running for president in 2016, right? That's what I'm saying. The, the data supports your hypothesis. Bill de Blasio was a dark horse candidate when he ran for mayor back in 2013. His platform was uncompromisingly liberal, and his family helped him craft his image. His wife and kids are black, and they argued de Blasio was serious about reigning in police abuse. After a couple of other top-tier candidates flamed out, he won. And yeah, Bill de Blasio is really tall, like six foot five. It's part of what can make him seem a little goofy. Okay, but but seriously, we have to put our we have to lay our cards on the table, which is that we're New Yorkers, and so we're biased because we've had to deal with the mayor's, you know, foibles, foibles, small time scandals like you know killing the groundhog and showing up late everywhere and driving I to the forgot gym. Forgot about the groundhog. He literally picked up a groundhog on Groundhog's Day in Staten Island, dropped it, and it died. It died, and there was a bit of a cover-up, which which was not, he had nothing to do with the cover-up, but there was nevertheless a cover-up. What I'm saying is, these are not issues, and in fact, many, many New York City issues uh, on which we find de Blasio lacking are not issues that will be germane to voters in Iowa or New Hampshire or voters anywhere who are thinking about the presidential race. So to be serious for a moment, the argument for de Blasio for president, I think, there are many more ridiculous small-time podunk candidates with fewer ideas and less experience who are running for president right now. De Blasio has as many constituents as Cory Booker does as a senator or Jay Inslee does as a governor. And he's always seemed more interested in these big picture social contract ideas, education, wages, public health. Henry sounds almost wistful when he talks about Bill de Blasio, doesn't he? It almost feels like mayor was just the wrong job for him from the start. I mean, de Blasio's hometown papers, each and every one of them came very close, if not openly mocked him. Right. I, I feel like the, the barrage of criticism is almost turning me into a de Blasio stan. I'm defending him a little bit. Today on the show, is there any possible case to be made for two dozen Democratic presidential candidates? And are all the people mercilessly dragging the latest candidate, Bill de Blasio, focused on the wrong stuff? Two New Yorkers debate what the rest of the country needs to know about their mayor. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To some extent, what we're watching right now is not, I think, really a presidential primary. It's kind of like a Democrat policy roadshow. Because we know that, like, only like six of them even have a chance. So what's happening now is unrealistic and uncharacteristic of most Democratic primaries. So we just shouldn't even put it in that category. Yeah, we should consider what it is. And the way they're thinking of it is not, I'm going to be president. The way they're thinking of it is, I'm auditioning for a VP job, a cabinet job. I am selling more books. I'm getting ready for my TV contract. I'm getting the attention I'll need when I run for Senate or for governor or what have you. Can that's- I just like raise my hand and say that's gross? Well, you know, that's the system. If if the Democrats ran a if they actually ran something called the policy roadshow, nobody would show up. <laughs> so and instead, so- we're we're rebranding it as right. the Democratic primary. Right. Well, it's always been the Democratic primary. And people are realizing that if they want attention for their ideas, all you have to say is I'm running for president. And suddenly there's two dozen news cameras following you. It's like we should get somebody from Slate to run for president. I don't want to run for president. Henry doesn't want to run for president. But we also don't really think New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio should run. And a lot of New Yorkers agree with us. There was a poll back in April. Three out of four New York voters surveyed said, nope, don't do it, de Blasio. Do the New Yorkers who think you should not run for president have a point? I think they do. Objection number one is, dude, you're supposed to be running a city of eight and a half million people. There's going to be a crisis every other day. And it's not going to look great for him when he's in Iowa and New Hampshire. That's what dog John Lindsay, when he ran for president as mayor of New York in 1972. Point number two is, come on, dude, nobody likes you. You don't have a chance. But that might not be true. Yes. And I don't think that's fair because among Democrats in New York, de Blasio is pretty popular. So this myth of everyone in New York hates Bill de Blasio, I think, has no basis in reality. There's a lot of podunk candidates. And frankly, mayor of New York should be a position. You know, it's a very high pressure, high responsibility position. I don't see why it being mayor for two terms should make you any less qualified than being a senator or governor of a state with the population of, you know, the Bronx. (laughs) Right. Like there's as many people who ride the bus every day in New York as there are voters in Iowa. But but the way he has governed in New York would reflect his shortcomings as a left-wing president. This is where I think that the New York City press corps and their objections to de Blasio as he has as he has made his way through his two mayoral terms are legitimate. De Blasio is stubborn. He's kind of smug. He is not that interested in data or in management. And the thorniest problems that have existed over his tenure as New York City mayor the New York City Housing Authority, the city's public housing, for example, or the crisis enveloping the subways and buses. He's been really reluctant to get involved in those, which politically I think is smart. But if you're running for president on a candidacy that's all about bigger, better government that helps people, that shows that government can do good things in people's lives, then I think you need a candidate who 
is intrigued by the elements of data and management that go into making well-run government programs. Yeah, and has made people's lives better in concrete ways. Right. So you wrote, there's nothing wrong with the idea of de Blasio on paper. He's popular. He has especially good numbers with black voters. Like, explain why he's a good candidate on paper. The case for de Blasio on paper is, number one, he has been running America's largest city basically pretty well for six years. And we have our complaints, but there has been no scandal great enough to, you know, actually disrupt the way that daily life happens here. So credit to him for that. Number two, he has implemented a number of pretty ambitious programs. He said he was going to stop the New York City Police Department's stop and frisk program, which searched hundreds of thousands of mostly black and Latino New Yorkers without cause. And he did that. Everyone said that crime would go through the roof. It didn't. Crime has continued to fall. So that was a bold and courageous platform, and he followed through on it. He implemented pre-kindergarten education for some seventy or 80,000 kids, which is about as many people as live in South Bend, Indiana. And, you know, and eventually he, he did manage to take, uh, after a few f- false starts, he managed to take Uber into a place that Uber has never been before, which is a place where drivers have basically a guaranteed wage and the number of vehicles is capped. So if we think about, you know, regulating the gig economy, I think he has a, there's a case to be made that he has more to show than basically the rest of them. For people who aren't in New York, just a little bit of biography of him. He sort of started as a behind the scenes guy, right? With Hillary Clinton and Charlie Rangel. And then he moved to the city council. He was a city councilman and then he was public advocate. And he ran for mayor in 2013 and was considered a long shot candidate. It was a wide open Democratic primary. This is after 12 years of Republican and then independent mayoralty under Michael Bloomberg. And he won for, I think, two reasons. First is that he had this very moving message that resonated with black New Yorkers. And he had this ambitious promise and stop and frisk. And he recognized that inequality after 12 years of Bloomberg was maybe the most salient issue facing New Yorkers. And he ran on that and that resonated. He really was the answer to Bloomberg, who is all about cold numbers and facts and data. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes in warm, kind of goofy, but has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And and we should say the other reason he won is that Anthony Weiner imploded. And Anthony Weiner was he was like the better version of de Blasio. He was an outer borough, white ethnic Democrat who ran on issues of fairness and he was, you know, funny and all that. Anyway, we all know what happened with Anthony Weiner. Into that void steps Bill de Blasio and the rest of his history. Let's talk about one thing he's done that's been a raging success. He implemented pre-K for all, all over the city, thousands of kids now getting access to education sooner. Theoretically, this will pay off with kids far down the line, right? Absolutely. I think that's a huge success. It's completely in sync with several other Democratic candidates' proposals about making child care cheaper and more accessible. Gets to that inequality message he has. Yep. It hits it and and it's and it's a massive policy success in terms of implementation. So I think it hits all the right notes. It's definitely been a success in New York. I think the question 
for him as he goes on this presidential campaign, and this is a bigger question, is to what extent the issues of local politics translate nationally. After you go past the pre-K, I think it becomes harder to see how both his successes and his failures relate to what he would be like as president. Let's talk about something Bill de Blasio has done less well, because there really is this dull roar of opposition, whether it's real or not, from at least the media to his candidacy. You've said de Blasio is a hunch-based politician. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I think that I've spent a lot of time thinking about why I find de Blasio so irritating. <laughs> not just as a, as a writer at Slate, but as a New Yorker. I basically agreed with most of his diagnosis of what New York's problems were when he ran. I agree with most of his policies on paper, pre-K, paid sick leave, minimum wage, um, affordable housing, and so forth. I was trying to think of why I, and I think other New Yorkers, find him irritating in a way that seems a little inscrutable to national observers who would look at this guy on paper and say, oh, he's a great candidate. And what I came upon was this tendency he has to make decisions based on what he already believes and in ways that I think fly in the face of what a politician who went first to the numbers would conclude. Hmm. For example, he decided that his flagship transportation project in a city where transportation is perhaps the mayor's number one responsibility and the arena in which he can make the most impact, he decided his flagship transportation project would be this ferry system that shepherds a minuscule number of basically tourists and wealthy waterfront residents around on the rivers. And he put all his focus into that, which he called an entirely new form of mass transit, while he ignored the subways and the buses. And the subways, to be clear, are falling apart. They're falling apart. They're also not directly his responsibility. That said, in my view, he's been a little too happy to wash his hands of the whole issue instead of, say, trying to take control. Like, as a New Yorker, it's irritating because ultimately the mayor should be the person running the subways. And what he should be doing in a world where he wasn't focused on other things is trying to take control, trying to make the system better, implementing stuff like, you know, fair fares and ADA accessibility, wheelchair accessibility in the stations. And like those should be the things that he wants to do. And the fact that Cuomo controls the system should be an obstacle, you know, and instead, I think it's been mostly a relief. Well, it gets to something else that I think is a problem with him, which is he's not really a coalition builder. And granted, Andrew Cuomo does have the upper hand here as the governor, as the person who's really in charge. But he hasn't been able to work out that relationship, and he hasn't really been able to work out his relationship with the city council either. Yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, while it's true that he has seemingly few political allies and it's been awfully hard to find people on the record who are like, yes, de Blasio for president is a good idea. Once again, I'm not sure that his mayoral record, for better or for worse, is that relevant <laughs> to how things are going to go in Iowa and New Hampshire. Well, he's not um, really running on his local record either. He's, he's talking about big ideas, exactly. which as he said, he loves. He loves the big ideas. And so to finish the thought about hunch-based socialism... The way that 
de Blasio makes decisions, whether it's about whether electric bicycles are dangerous, whether congestion pricing for drivers entering the central business district is a good idea, whether New York City should ban glass and steel skyscrapers in the interests of creating more sustainable buildings and fighting climate change. On all these issues, he goes first to this kind of received wisdom he has in his head and only second or not at all to what the data actually says. In the case of electric bicycles, he said, they're just too dangerous. We have to ban them from city streets. And somebody finally dug up the data. And of course, electric bicycles, which are used in New York primarily by immigrant delivery men, were responsible for something like two dozen out of 65,000 crashes on the streets every year. So this is an example of him coming to an issue. It's a small-scale example, again, an example that won't mean anything to voters in South Carolina, but it's an example of him coming to an issue with an idea and being reluctant or just refusing outright to change his mind when confronted with new information. And I think the reason that this is relevant to his campaign is that if we're going to have somebody who is implementing giant social projects from Washington, it should be somebody who's very, very conscious of what data says and how the particulars work out and all that. Because socialism is only as good as its implementation. You're saying socialism. I don't think of New York as like a socialist city. No, definitely not. But you know what I mean. He is without a doubt running in the Sanders-Warren wing of this primary, which is the wing of big, ambitious social programs. We're not even talking about how he'd do head-to-head with Trump. Biden, we were talking about this before he even announced. Right. I think people have just dismissed him. They've just said, this isn't going to happen. I mean, didn't one of his donors come out and say, you really shouldn't. Don't do this. (laughs) That has been everyone's reaction. Everyone's reaction. I will say that what de Blasio did get, which no other candidate, to my knowledge, has gotten, was a special tweeted video from the president himself calling him the worst mayor in America. I can't believe it. I just heard that the worst mayor in the history of New York City, and without question, the worst mayor in the United States, is now running for president. It will never happen. I'm pretty good at predicting things like that. I would be very surprised to see him in there for a long period, but it's just not going to (laughs) happen. I mean, what better endorsement can you get than the president coming out and um, talking about how bad you are at your job. I mean, that's just that's that's gold. Totally. The thing that's interesting talking to you about de Blasio's record and his history is no one really expected him to be mayor in the beginning. Right. No one really expects him to be president now either. Maybe we just need to stop prognosticating. Let the guy do his thing, show up in Iowa, see what happens. You think a funny thing has happened as this field of candidates has expanded On the one hand, it becomes more and more hubristic to jump in the race because it's like, what, nobody in this field of 24 is offering something. But on the other hand, the more people join, the the lower the barrier to entry. I think I think the other reason why people are reacting so strongly to Bill de Blasio, I, I just wonder how much of it is him and how much of it is just you're the last guy in the clown car, we think. (laughs) The last guy in the clown car and six foot six. Right. Henry Grabar, thank you so much for joining me. 
Mary, always a pleasure to talk about Bill de Blasio. Henry Grubar is a Slate staff writer. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Usually this is the moment where I ask you to forcibly take your friend's phone and subscribe them to the podcast. You could still do that. Like, it'd still work. But I also want to tell any New Yorkers listening to this episode, we have a live show coming up. You can see us all in person. We can say hi. We can have some coffee. And we're going to record a couple of episodes. Come join us Saturday, June 8th at the SVA Theater. We're going to be there about 1030 in the morning. I'm going to be talking to comedian Wyatt Sinak and Jumani Williams, who is the New York City public advocate. Come through. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.